0: Finally, if you would like to support the work and ministry of Rehope financially, you can do so online at rehope.co.uk slash giving. We pray you find this message encouraging, enlightening, and helpful. Enjoy. Good evening. Welcome to Vision Sunday. This is our chance to have a wee bit of a family moment here as a church in the West End and consider, okay, what is God saying to us as one of the locations of Rehope Church? Guys, it's a new season, and I know it's a new season because pumpkin spice lattes are back. So no matter what the weather's doing, it is autumn. And we are entering into a gloriously full autumn here as a church, not because we love to be busy, but because we are on mission to see young leaders raised up for the next generation, to see people of every age taught and trained and sent out wherever God is leading them to go. We want to see students from all over the world discover who Jesus is when they come to Glasgow, thinking they're coming here to study when actually God wants to meet them here. We want to see students anchored in their faith, reawakened in their faith. And so there's lunches and there's cafes and there's feasts and internships and courses and just about everything and then it's Christmas. It's gonna be fun. If I learned anything though from the cycling championships taking place in Glasgow, I learned that you can go a lot faster if the route is kept clear. And having a shared vision as we go forward helps keep that route clear for us. And so it's a good time as you maybe step into like a new semester of university or another season as a family, whatever it may be, as we go into this new month together and this new season together, it's a good time for yourself too to ask God, okay, for me, as I follow you, Jesus, what in my life is an obstruction or a potential obstruction? What's not of you that actually just needs to be removed? Or what's not the most important thing that needs to be set aside for a time because there is something most important that you have for me. What in my life is essentially a granny crossing the road at a bad point? in a cycling race? What could maybe trip me up or what could block me? And then also to ask God, okay, what's my gear? What's my essential gear that you want to put me on to help you want me to put on to help me go faster or go better? Like what's my lycra? What's my like funny little hat? What's my essential gear? As I go after you, I would love to talk about some of that essential gear today. I would love to talk about pre-service prayer, about how we've been talking about the name because we we love pre-service prayer and it's been called that for a long time. And like we love that it's like before the service because we're we're really specifically praying for the service and we're praying for other things too. But like, do we change it because we don't want to to view it as something that's just a before thing or like a little add-on or like a preamble? But we want especially the members, but everyone in our church, to view it as like the start of our Sunday together. So we've been thinking about pre-service prayer. I would love to talk about pre-service prayer today. I would love to talk about Bible read through today, about how we read at the pace that we do cover to cover because we want our lives to be saturated in the Word of God and how cool it is that we're transformed by the truth as we read the truth, how helpful it is that when I find myself like a little bit stumped or confused or I don't quite understand what is being said through the word, I remember, I hear Wade Thompson in my head saying, let's see what the next book has to say about that. I love Bible read through. I would love to talk about Bible read through. little spoiler is that the membership commitments here at our church are kind of like the essential gear that we have found is really helpful to put on as we go after Jesus. The stuff that we do because we're cyclists to help us cycle better. The stuff that we do because we love God because, and, we, and we wanna love him more. Things like loving the people of our church, loving uh, a commitment to lo- growing in our love for God, a commitment to being part of a Bible read through, to praying with the people of the church, to giving, to serving, all those different things. If you remember, great, we're gonna remember those things tomorrow night. If you're not and you're here and you're all in here, become a member and join us in those things. In the weeks to come, Brian's going to be starting a new series. Was I allowed to tell him what the series is, Brian? Do it. Yes, great. The morning crew already know, but Brian's here, so I thought I'd ask permission tonight. He's going to be starting a new series, all about the life of Abraham, all about trusting, trusting God. It's going to be good. So he's going to be like looking at the relationship, like us and God, me and God, us and God. So I felt like praying about this today, I felt like God put it on my heart to address our relationships like each to the other, like us to us, me to you, you to me, here as church together. And I'm going to assume that as we go forward and we think about trusting God and we look at Abraham's story, that there's going to be a correlation between like my ability to trust God and my confidence, my clear view of his character. And in a similar way, as it when it comes to us relating to each other rightly in this place, it's going to help if we have a shared vision, some sort of foundational shared vision of who we are, of what we're actually doing here. Being in the Middle East earlier in this year made me think lots about church. In Middle Eastern culture, identity is understood differently. It's a family-oriented culture. And so where we naturally value ourselves, above all things, typically, where I was, they valued family above all things. Decision, decisions were made for the family, resources were shared among the family, different roles were taken on depending on the family's need. You're not just part of a family there, you are your family. Whereas in the West, generally speaking, we have a more individualized worldview. I am the lead character of my own story. My life is made up of my decisions, my hopes, my plans, my time, my schedule, my job, my this, my that, whatever. And it's kind of like, okay, it's me against the world. And then if I give my life to Jesus, maybe it's like me and Jesus against the world or me and Jesus and my family unit against the world or me and Jesus and my people against the world. And in the midst of that, I wonder what does church become? Or what is there a risk that church becomes for us? A place to refill me, fulfill me, for me to find community? I really hope that this church can be all of those things for us. But I know that I need to regularly challenge my Western, individualized worldview when it slips into how I understand this and what we're doing here. Because if that is the lens that I see this through primarily, then what if I can, what if I'm busy? And I can feel refilled later on by like catching up or listening to a podcast or whatever. Does it, does it matter if I'm not here? Or if I can, if I'm feeling generally fulfilled through my work or through sport or through success or whatever it might be, like even just even God's stuff somewhere else. Does it matter if I'm not using my gifts in a church setting? Or maybe I have found community and I've found ways that I like to worship and i And I feel okay in those regards, and I can kind of worship by myself or in my own ways. Does it it matter if I find community here, make community here? Does it matter if I worship with these particular people at any particular time? I don't know. But if we take off that worldview and try to look through a biblical worldview at what church is, I believe a biblical worldview would say that believers coming together to worship God. It's not so much like a group of individuals regathering over a shared interest or even a shared uh, God to worship, but the family of God reuniting. The Bible would say we don't gather together so much as we are now together. We don't come together as one so much as we are now one in Jesus. So this becomes like the most natural thing we can do, the most normal thing that we can do. Ephesians 2 says that because of Jesus, Gentiles and Jews are now members together of God's family. 1 Corinthians 12 uses the language around like being a body, like every part of the church being part of that body, different parts, different functions, different things to play, but all part of one whole. Romans 12 says that each member, each part of that body belongs to the other parts. So let's elevate our understanding of family. I want to elevate my understanding of family today because not only does the Bible say that we are family, but a biblical worldview says that history is the story of God and right now what what he's doing is he is using his family. He's using his family, he's expanding his family, he's drawing people into his family through the church, through the spirit, through the church. And so it's not so much that the Holy Spirit and the church are part of my life, but that my life is a tiny but significant part of what God is doing right now through his spirit, through his church on the earth. Sir George recently introduced me to the idea of the biblical story as chiasm. Maybe I've heard it before. I don't know if I've heard it before. Apologies, Brian, if you've taught on it before. I know that Brian has taught about chiasms in the Psalms before, um, but a chiasm I looked at it again this week, apparently is a literary device where an idea or a narrative is presented and then it is repeated but in like reverse order. So like when the going gets tough, the tough gets going. And when we read the Bible, we see that kind of arc take place because at the very start we see a creator God and people. He's made all things, so everything is whole, everything is good. And then at the end of the story, we see a creator God and the people... He's restored all things so everything is whole and good. And then in the middle you have this kind of like, typically kind of this way and then a turning point. And we see that too in the story where we see, okay, we know like the fall happened. Things went wrong, humans, angels rebelled against God, we diverted our worship elsewhere. As a result, evil, sin, death, brokenness, cycles of it, in fact, and yet, the God whose heart was full of pain at where we got to, we know the story. Romans 5 says, just at the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. So we have this God of rescue who then comes in, and there's this like climactic moment at the cross, and we have the risen Jesus. And we'd maybe think, okay, this is if this is a chiasm, then this is the center point, this is when everything turns around. So this is like the climactic middle is the cross. And in literature, chiasms would typically have two of those moments so like a little like a turning point in the middle a significant one and then like an even bigger climactic moment at the end and we can see that that fits in too because we we talk every week we mention like that great future day when Jesus will come back and we know and we trust okay he's going to restore all things and everything is going to be made new like that's the big climactic finish that we're waiting for that we're hoping for. So it's easy to think, okay, the climactic middle has already happened, the climactic end has not yet happened, and so in the middle of that, we're maybe, I'm part of a church, I'm learning, I'm growing, I'm worshipping, but ultimately maybe my life becomes about my salvation and my ability to wait on Jesus' return. Now, the cross was obviously a pinnacle moment in human history and a turning point, but what if... We understood the days we live in less as like a post-something, pre-something waiting season and only that, and more as like the actual climactic middle, like the turning, we're still in the turning point because God coming, sending Jesus was not just an isolated event, but we know like that broke in, he, he poured out his spirit after that on people who he would call sons and daughters and then send out into the world, not so that just someday he will restore all things, but so because he started to restore all things, because he's already turning things around, and then, yes, some future day, all of the fullness of that, all of the fullness, all of the goodness. John 1, 12 says, God gives anyone who believes in Jesus the right to become children of God. And so we know, okay, God's not building congregations. God's not like playing a massive game of clumps around the world, kind of gathering believers into pockets just so that they can be believers together. But he's restoring his family. He's building his family across the world. And he is in that, taking, calling people to himself, putting his spirit in them, calling them son and daughter, and then sending them out to do the same thing that he is doing because his spirit is still doing that and is doing that right now through us. And so we go to every tongue, tribe, people, nation. We're part of that great work. And then, yes, some future day, we will all gather at the marriage supper of the Lamb, and we will worship God together. And with that in mind, then this becomes not just something that that would happen with or without me, but an incredible foreshadowing of what is to come. It's what I was made for. It's what I'm going to do forever. I think for as long as I remember, I've kind of viewed my life as being in the in between. And like, we are, and that's important. Like, I want to live desperate for Jesus to come back. I want to just get more and more and more and more enthusiastic about his return the longer I live. But what if it's not just the in between? What if it's the era of the Spirit through the church? And we are. Getting to live in these days here together in Glasgow. But that's like the zoom out part one. So let's zoom in for part two. If we are the family of God, and if the church is at um, the center of this story because God is pouring out his spirit through his church, how do we relate to each other while we're here? How do we relate to each other? When I was praying about this message today, I felt like God put the words adoptive love on my heart. And it didn't surprise me all that much because Romans 8 helps me understand that God has not just brought me into his family, but he has adopted me in. He writes, uh, Paul writes in Romans 8, the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And our adoption, just like adoption, would be for you and me, it wasn't something that God was forced to do, but it was an act of pure love on his part. First John 3 says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And as children of God, we share a Father in heaven who has revealed his nature to us. Because also in First John it says, God is light. In him there's no darkness at all. And so we share this father, we know what he's like, and because he's light and because he's adopted us, Colossians says he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, which is a kingdom of light. And all of this means something about how we relate to each other. Because also in First John, it says this, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother or sister lives in the light. 1 John 1, 1.6, Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. When it comes to living as Jesus did, we have to start here. Because if we don't love each other, if we don't love each other, we're not living in the light. We're not truly living as sons and daughters. And maybe it sounds so simple, but to live as brothers and sisters, rightly, and we need to live as sons and daughters, rightly? Like to the right father, to our heavenly father, who he, who he is, knowing his perfect love with an ever fresh, ever reawakened understanding of how he loves us. A story I always come back to a man had two sons. The younger one takes his inheritance and squanders it in wild living, he spends everything. And then famine hits, he finds himself in extreme need. And if we pick up in Luke 15, verse 17, it says, "'When he came to his senses, he said, "'How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? "'And here I am, starving to death. "'I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, "'Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. "'I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. "'Make me like one of your hired servants.' "'So he got up and went to his father.' But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, "'Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son.' But the father said to his servants, "'Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. So they began to celebrate. The younger son says twice, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And it's shame. He says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Maybe the Pharisees who'd been murmuring about who Jesus was eating dinner with before Jesus told this story, maybe they would have thought, okay, maybe he's not actually worthy to be called a son anymore. Maybe We with our cancel culture would say, okay, yeah, he's maybe not worthy to be called a son. Maybe just any of us with a notion of fairness would say, okay, you know, grovel a bit, work your way back in, take it a day at a time, prove yourself. But the gospel is that the father gets to decide who he calls a son, and he has chosen to pour out grace on those who are not living like his sons and daughters in the spirit of adoptive love, to then call them sons and daughters, even while they're not living as sons and daughters, and to bring them back into his family. God the Father's not bringing some people in as servants and some as sons. So if you're far off, come back. (laughs) Take your place as a son, which means full forgiveness, full restoration, full access to the Father, full inheritance every piece of hope in heaven for you. But this is a story of two sons. And so the younger son comes back, and there's celebration, and there's music, and there's dancing, good times. But then it says in verse 28, the elder brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders." yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because his brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. If you've given your life to Jesus, you have been adopted into the family of God. But if for whatever reason you have gone outside, or turned your back, and you're living more as a stranger, or in your mind you've decided I'm a slave, the Father's heart for you today would say, my son, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. Sonship is the promise of his presence, unhindered accents to his presence, and the promise of an inheritance kept in heaven for us. If you're estranged from the people that God doesn't only call his son, but your brother, he also wants you to come back in. That's the reality of the father's adoptive love. He goes out to both sons and brings them in. And if we're about our father's business, then we're going to be people who we go to bring back and we go to bring in. Now, maybe you're new. Maybe you're not new, but you feel a bit like withdrawn. Maybe you're busy. Maybe you're hurt. Maybe you're just so familiar with church that you're like a little bit numb to it, and it's kind of like, okay, I come and I go, and I like, what of it? There's so many reasons we could have to continue to come and to worship together, and maybe serve together, and maybe be loving to, towards each other, but ultimately live like me and God against the world lives in proximity to each other, rather than actually being like, no, I've been adopted into a family, and I'm going to take my place in that, in this city, in the days that I've been given. But the good news is we have the Spirit in us to not only be evidence that we've been adopted, but to empower us to love as God loves and as he's made us to love. If we let him, the Holy Spirit will bring out the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, self-control, all for the other that we might love with that sort of adoptive love that God loves with. Three things about that as I prepare to finish. Number one, adoptive love is generous. It loves deeply, deeply beyond the bounds of what is natural, normal, or expected. To love in this way means loving something that is not your own, to make it your own. It gives what it doesn't owe. It says, come invade my space, my time, my life. Come in. In 1 Peter, twice we read the exhortation, love each other deeply. Love each other deeply. At the very start of 1 Peter, he's like, okay, you've been given a new birth, into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, you have be born into a new family. Therefore, love one another deeply from the heart. In the New Living Translation it says, love one another deeply with all your heart. And We're committed here to being people who grow in our love for God that we might love him with all our heart. When it comes to each other though, I could easily choose to love small or I can let his love hit my heart. Romans 5, 5 says, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he pours out his love into our hearts. So if we let him, he will help us. He will grow our love for each other. First Peter goes on to say, the end of all things is near. Be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love one another deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. We love generously because we want to live with a Jesus is coming back Mindset. One that says, why would I hold on to this? Why would I save up my time and my life and my energy? Why would I hold on to that for myself when actually Jesus is coming back? <laughs> I can love generously. I can love generously because I know how loved I am, and I can love generously because I know he's coming back. Loving generously means forgiving generously. The counterpart to sin so often isn't just an absence of sin, but actually Love. Where sin separates, love binds. First Peter, we read, uh, love covers a multitude of sins. But adoptive love is strong. It perseveres. It reaches out and it draws back, and it refuses the distancing effect of sin through forgiveness. It's not to say, let people walk all over you, but it's to say love with a strong love in the face of disagreements, disputes, irritations, even situations where the world would say you're justified to walk away. Love resists that through forgiveness. And it's what God will do through us if we let him. Because if we consider the ludicrous love of God, who won't he forgive if they come to him for forgiveness? Adoptive love, number two, takes action because it takes responsibility. We like to draw lines around whose job it is, whose responsibility it is, who made the mess. They can clean it up, whatever it is. If it's not mine, it's not mine. If it's yours, it's yours. We love to draw those lines, but Jesus did not do the same. Jesus did not sin. Jesus did not make us sin. But Galatians says he gave himself for our sins to rescue us from sin because that was the will of the Father. It's very unlikely that we will ever have to die for someone here, but we get to wake up each day knowing that someone died for us, and so if an opportunity arises to take responsibility for something that maybe I didn't do, but I can take responsibility for, I can do that. I can feel secure enough to do that, or if there's a mess that I didn't make, I can help clean it up, or I can fix a problem that I didn't cause, or help be a solution to something that I didn't bring about or simply to be like, yeah, okay, it's not my job to love someone else's kids or it's not my job to pray for someone else's marriage or it's not my job to strengthen our kids team or whatever it might be, but I can take responsibility for it because I can do that out of love here. I can choose to love here. Finally, adoptive love means settling in. When God reveals his name in Exodus, he reveals himself as a God who is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. When you are adopted in, you are in the family of God, like in the family, family of God. He's a God of the long haul. I've been settling back into life in Glasgow, and a few things that have helped me feel settled here. Number one, getting back into my Glasgow rhythms. So uh, Friday, Sabbath mornings in Space Coffee Shop with a flat white. Walking to work every day in the morning. Tuesday night, shabam. They're the things that help me feel planted here, helps me feel settled here. Number two, catching up with the people. Asking people, okay, what what happened in your life in the last six months? What are we celebrating? What is there to grieve over? Catching up with the people, and then finally spending time at home, lighting a candle, finding my place on the sofa again, cleaning my flat, it's helped me feel settled. And I think some of the same sort of things can help us feel settled in our church, too. Find or refind your place in the rhythms. If it's here, then find them in the rehope rhythm. Some of those for us, it's like we pray together, we read the Bible cover to cover together, we show up on Sundays together. Like, find yourself a place in the rhythms of rehope. Catch up with the people, ask someone to tell you their story. Host someone the way you would like to be hosted. Find the causes for celebration. Find the burdens that we can help carry for each other. Spend time here. Get to know the place. Guests will be served, but like family, know how to make the coffee. Come settle in with us. Come to prayer and then stick about in the bit in between. Spend time here. At the end of the day, God can adopt us into his family. We can be adopted in. But we have to choose. To be part, We have to choose that we want to come in, that we want to be adopted in in that way. No one can take your seat at the table. No one can be the person that God has made you to be here for this time. You are important, and it matters that you're here. And if you're part of this church, or you're going to be, then I hope you can feel incredibly loved here. Like, I really do. But even more than that, I hope that we can become a people together who, in the spirit of adoptive love, love before we're loved, even when we're not loved well, come to serve rather than be served, and evermore surrender to the Spirit of God that's going to do that through us. I want to pray for us before we finish, but first maybe I'll go to the challenge. The challenge is ask God to give you three names, faces of people in church he wants you to love particularly, generously. Do something this week to show that love. Actually, right now, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would bring names to mind for us. People to mind, faces to mind. If we've got our eyes open, maybe just highlight them right now in the room. God, who would you have us show particular love to this week? And the second challenge is to take a bold settling in step. Maybe just ask God right now, Lord, what is that for me? Has there been something in your mind that you've been, Thinking about doing, wanting to do, just haven't done yet? Is there someone, like, just to introduce yourself to, to? Do you want to become a member? Do you want to join a team? Do you want to get back into your read-through? What could be your bold settling-in step to be like, yeah, I'm going to find myself in the place here. I'm going to settle into the rhythms here. And just as we stay in a place of prayer and listening, I want to ask God, Would you soften our hearts where they're hard? And Lord, you say love one another deeply with all of our hearts. So God, if there's any stones in our heart, if there's any little rocks that you want to take out so that we can love people more fully in this place, Holy Spirit, would you highlight to us right now those rocks and come and remove them, Lord. Come take them. Maybe there's little hurt, little rocks of hurt You've been hurt, you've been disappointed, something's happened. Jesus, come and heal. Come and bandage any wounds, Lord, where there's still like a residue. Would you come and do a full healing work, Lord? Take away those little stones of hurt in us. Maybe you've got a little stone in there of like self preservation. Like, I'm going to kind of protect myself or guard my heart, I'm going to be cautious about who I love, how I love, how much I'm willing to love. God, would you come and take that little stone? Soften our hearts. Maybe there's things in your mind where you're like, yeah, I'll love when this happens, or I'll love if this happens for me, or this person does this thing, or I'm treated this way, or little like ifs and buts. If there's any of those in our heart, Lord, would you come and remove those stones? Jesus, we want to love you with everything that we are, and we want to take our place as your church in Glasgow for these days. So, Lord, where there's any like lack of love that would keep us from that, come and move. Help us, Lord. May this next few months be marked by how much we love each other. Would it be fruitful? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.